Let's get started. This is Fundraising Radio episode number 17. And today is a guest speaker. We have Josh Lisserman, a managing partner of Level Up VC, which uh, main focus is to help founders fundraise. And today he will tell us about how funds are being created from the ground up. But before we get started, I just wanted to mention that our sponsor is Marple App, which is a great app for testing out any sort of marketing campaigns. If you suck at marketing, try Marple App. It'll do it for you. So, Josh, let's get started. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, about your background, and a little bit about Level Up VC? Yeah, sure. And first of all, thanks for welcoming me on to your podcast. Um, so a little background about me to start off with, because I think it'll segue into Level Up. Um, so a little background about me a couple of years ago. I was working at a startup up in San Francisco. Um, it was a VR startup. And we, when I was brought in, we were in the middle of raising a seed round. We were running out of runway. And the CEO comes to me and is just like, hey, I need help with fundraising. Do you have any contacts? And shortly thereafter, I got really involved in the fundraising process, even though I was just head of business development. And we ended up in under three months raising a million dollars, um, which was led by Mavron, actually. And I shortly learned thereafter, why on earth would like a firm invest in that company? Um, just because there was no product market fit, there was no traction, and the valuation was high. And I, I really couldn't understand it, but I found it intriguing. So shortly thereafter, I ended up leaving um, on really good terms with the CEO, joined a VC firm located here in Brentwood in LA, and um, it was more of a growth stage equity firm, so it was a little bit different than the early stage uh, ventures that I work with right now. And um, it, it was an interesting experience, and I, I learned from that experience um, as an analyst that not all VC firms are equal, and they all have different theses, and they all have different ways of supporting companies, and some of them aren't as maybe willing to roll up their sleeves as they say they are. And so I, I learned from that because of all the networking opportunities that came out of it. Um, I, I learned a lot from that. And I almost gave up on VC actually, because I was like, you know what? Like, it's not for me. Um, I don't see the support and innovation. I think it's overrated. And I ended up running into Brandon Meyer, who co-founded Quake Capital, um, and he, which is a top three seed stage accelerator located in Los Angeles, Austin, New York. And we, you know, we met up back in January of 2019, and we just had super similar philosophies and learned a lot from our previous experiences and decided to form this new thesis that Level Up is based around. So Level Up is this industry agnostic seed stage venture capital firm who helps lead founders through their fundraising efforts and ultimately allow them to do what they do best, which is grow their company. Our personal belief is that many investors aren't willing to roll up as their sleeves as much as they say they will. And so we, um, we believe that this shows that this is a marketing tactic for VCs to differentiate themselves rather than a belief that showing operational support or sales support will have a game-changing impact on their portfolio. So we have this non-fixed virtual post-acceleration program called Level Up that expedites capital raises, amplifies growth, 
and mitigates risk. And what we do is we make between five to 10 investor introductions per month until there are portfolio companies uh, round closes and we help set weekly KPIs over that time period so that growth doesn't become stagnant. Right, the thing is just great. I think your philosophy that VCs are definitely overrated is right. Because from what I've heard is that pretty much all, every single investor says they're going to do everything for you, basically in terms of finance, and they end up doing nothing. So uh, I think that's great. I'm pretty sure it's going to erupt. So um, I was curious, uh, how much are you raising right now? Yeah, so we're raising a $15 million fund. We spent the first nine months proving out our concept through a consulting arm. Um, basically helping founders with their capital raises through consultation and making those introductions through our personal network. And then now we just began fundraising in September, and that has been a very interesting process, to say the least. Can you tell us a little bit about that fundraising? Like, how do you start it? Uh, who do you reach out first to, etc.? Yeah, so I think everybody has. I think one of the things that you'll realize in VC, especially emerging managers who are raising new funds, is that everybody has a different tactic and way of going about fundraising. Because of Brandon and my background, we decided to go about fundraising a little bit differently. We ended up setting up our own little database to basically say, these are founders within our network, these are people within our personal network, high net worth individuals, family offices, et cetera. And we started the first two weeks. If, I, if we could go back and do it again, I think we'd do it differently. But um, the first two weeks, we just reached out to our personal network. And actually, within that first two weeks, one of those in the, our personal network turned out to potentially be an anchor in our fund, um, someone who is going to you know, possibly put in a majority of the money into our fund. All right, sorry, I actually had a little bit of network lag, so I missed like 30 seconds of your presentation. Really sorry for that. Uh, but let's move on to the next question. And uh, so uh, I saw on your website that you're offering something like uh, VC Scholar Program, uh, which is, uh, I guess, like training for people who want to work for VCs. Uh, so I was just wondering, why are you doing that? And how, 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 what, do you do, what do you get from this? Yeah, so VC Scholar is um, VC Scholar is a program to allow college students to learn about how to evaluate early stage investments. And so it's twofold. One, we have this digital pitch competition that we do in partnership with Spark XYZ that we host every three months, um, and we bring hundreds of investors to it, and our our um, our DC uh, scholars, they end up sourcing companies for this digital competition. The second part is that we're gonna eventually use it as a source of deal flow. You as an investor are only as good as the deal flow and the amount of deal flow that you bring in. And so th there's a growing trend in presentations for fundraising, for um, VC funds where you go and say your portfolio of missed opportunities because what it says is if you might have found it at least you had a chance at identifying that company and investing in it but you just 
you ended up passing on it or whatever the reason may be. Um, but at least you were able to identify it because if you're not able to find those companies before they come big, then you're not really doing your job. Right. Um, but what's, what's the profit for you, let's say? So uh, are those people going to work for you later on? Is that what you're expecting? or? Um... So it's mostly, again, sources of deal flow and it's allowing them to get something on their resume and to get a little bit of experience. So we teach them how to evaluate pitch decks. We teach them how to um, source companies, whether it's through online marketing, LinkedIn, um, uh, you know, a couple of online apps that end up connecting entrepreneurs to entrepreneurs, um, et cetera. And the biggest, the, it, there's no real profit for us. We've actually hired a VC scholar before as a venture associate um, who ended up starting as a VC scholar, became a venture associate for us, still is a venture associate for us. Um, and, but the biggest profit is that it ends up increasing our, and maximizing our deal flow and allowing us to source more opportunities to, to potentially invest in. Got it, got it. All right, um, so another thing I was curious about is that what's the difference between raising for a VC firm versus for a startup? Because for me, it sounds like you still have to go out to investors and pitch your idea. So uh, is there even any difference? Yeah, yeah there, there is a difference. And I'd say the difference is that th there's a few key differences. So one, um, raising for a VC fund versus a startup is like 10 times harder. Because one, there's a lack of actual resources out there that identify these are people who want to invest into your fund. So the information on potential LPs is very limited or very costly. The second, the second thing is, you know, whereas, you know, raising a seed stage round, you know, maybe takes, you know, if, you know, you don't have support from your investors, eight to 12 months. For a VC firm, it, it takes like on average like 18 to 24 months. Like it is a long, grueling process. Um, and some people don't make it to the end because they can't support themselves without a management fee. Um, the third thing is the deck. You know, the decks are, are very different and there's no actual. Whereas in an early stage startup, you know, you kind of know, okay, let's keep your your deck to under 15 slides, you need to have your, mm -hmm. your problem, your solution, your target market, you know, in a VC deck, you know, when you're pitching to LPs, um, you know, you do have a couple of slides that have to be in there, such as your portfolio, what your portfolio construction looks like, what your actual thesis is, who you're investing in. But, you know, in terms of differentiating yourself, it varies from fund to fund. It's no simple, clear cookie cutter way of identifying how to differentiate yourself. Right. Yeah. That sounds like raising for a fund requires much, much more work than raising for a startup. Uh, so you've mentioned that finding LPs and general partners is really hard. And it's, I've never seen anyone on the internet saying like, Hey, we invest in funds. So how, how do you find those people? Yeah. So, you know, again, it, a lot of it's personal network. You know, I think it's really important that you have a personal network of founders that you've worked with before or founders that you are working with or founders that you've supported in some way or another, because those are usually 
that's usually where the first money comes in if you're raising your first fund. And then what ends up happening is, you know, if you're a smaller fund, if you're a micro VC fund under, you know, $25 million in size, right? You, you start with, you know, just family offices, you know, high net worth individuals, founders who might want to support and back you. And as you grow larger, you know, you have your pension funds, you have your endowments, you have, et cetera. And, you know, there are databases that as you um, grow larger, you'll be able to afford. But as I'm, I think it's actually 10 times tougher to raise as a micro VC, just even though there's more money being pumped in the micro VC on a per fund basis, just because that information, you have to go research on your own. You got to find and network with people on your own. Whereas the endowments and the pension funds, they're a little bit more well-known and a little bit more accessible, but you still have got to find a way to have a third-party connection and get an introduction to those funds. So it, it's a difficult process. It's not easy to find LPs. It takes a lot of time, a lot of research. Um, they say when you start your first fund, you know, you should be spending, you know, like 80% of your time to to fundraising and the other 20% should really be going towards building your brand, building partnerships and validating your thesis. Right, right. So, uh, yeah, obviously raising micro VC seems to be much harder than raising a regular VC firm. Uh, but I was curious, what do you think? Like there is always a struggle for people to work in a big established company and get like a normal fee, I mean, normal salary versus starting something of their own which might lead to not getting anything in years or making you a millionaire. So uh, I wanted to ask you, is there the same struggle with the VC, like being a small um, guy, like associate or something like that in a big fund or starting something on your own? Yeah, so I think there are, there are pros and cons to both. You know, um, I've worked on both sides of the table now. Um, I think working as you know a small fish in a in a big pond is it's great because one you you know let's say you're an associate in a more established fund you have a steady salary you know what your jobs and responsibilities are um you know exactly what your day-to-day -day is gonna gonna look like and you just got to go and set out and accomplish those kpis um and that might mean but the the downside is you know, if you're working for a bigger fund, it's a lot harder for upward mobility to, to move to partner. With that being said, you can always move to another firm or do a spin out fund, which you see a lot. I was actually talking to someone at Insight Venture Partners who was an, a venture associate and he's relatively young. He's under 30 and he ended up um, he's spinning out a fund that's, you know, in the hundreds of millions of dollars and he um, is doing it right outside of Insight Venture Partners and, he, and he's under 30. So, you know, you see that happen all the time. With that being said, um, you know, being a big fish in a small pond where maybe you're an emerging manager, you're really, you know, you're really young, um, you know, you get to create your own job and responsibilities. You get to say, this is what you want to do. Um, you have higher carried interest, you know, you get potential carried interest in all investments. Um, you get um, you get more responsibilities. You get you get to make a lot of the decisions around the firm. Who gets hired? What types of um, founders you want to work with? But the downside is, you know, if you don't raise a fund, or you're not raising a fund, you know, supporting yourself, having a management fee, 
um, which is really important. Obviously, you got to pay the bills. Um, the second thing is also, and I think this is kind of um, underrated, is that even though there's a lot of responsibilities that you get to create yourself, you have to make sure that you're keeping up with them. And that is a lot to deal with, especially when you're not only dealing with your own responsibilities, but everybody else in the firms. So um, it, it's, there's pros and cons to both. Um, and I think it really depends on your base level of knowledge, where you're at in terms of experience, et cetera, in terms of what you end up deciding to join or do. If you do end up wanting to get into investment, I think, like I said earlier in the podcast, every VC can it, is over-glorified in a lot of ways, and invest, investing is not for everybody, to be honest with you. Right, that's that's for sure. Some people just don't have the right talent, I guess. So uh, let's speak a little bit about more specific details. So what's what do you think is the major step that you have to make while uh, starting a, a fund, a micro VC from the ground off? Uh, can you repeat that? Sorry. Yeah. Uh, what's the major step you have to take to to start a fund? Yeah. So I think that you know, obviously, there's the legal side of things. You have to, you know, you have to incorporate, you have to form your LLCs. Um, with, with that being said, um, and there's a lot of legal expenses, like they can be, it's very, it's a very costly process. It's why a lot of people don't start their own micro VC fund without, um, you know, prior founding a successful startup or working at another fund and having saved up a little bit and having resources from their firm and their managing partners supporting their efforts, um, you know, because it is a very costly process. Um, with that being said, I think every VC firm differentiates when they get their, their fund off the ground. Um, but I think one thing that a lot of firms don't do well that I know in pitches with when I pitch to LPs um, comes off great is brand building. We purposefully did not go in when Brandon and I got together, we purposefully did not go and say, all right, we're going to immediately raise this fund. We took the approach, let's build a brand of this actually founder-friendly firm and really offer ways to help founders and show the proof of concept. And I don't think a lot of firms do that. I don't think a lot of firms take as much pride in brand building as they should because at the end of the day, the deals that you win, the best ones are the ones where the founders get to choose which firms they work with. And the stronger your brand is, the more likely the founder is going to want to work with you. Right. Got it. So you've mentioned that it's super expensive to start a VC on the legal side. And I've heard, um, I don't remember where exactly I've heard, but basically uh, some investor was telling a story of how he started his micro VC, but instead of... Uh, setting up um, an actual fund, he made a SPV, which is a special purpose vehicle, which is much cheaper and uh, seems to be like more, just a cheaper option of yeah. uh, micro VC. Why didn't you choose this option? So we actually, so we're exploring SPVs before we're raising our fund and SPVs are great, right? The problem with SPVs is that you have to every time because it's a specific purpose vehicle and it's for one investment just because you might have a network of potential limited partners 
that could invest in your fund. But if you go and create an SPV, it's for one specific investment. So let's say it's a video gaming company, right? A, a sports video gaming company in, in, tech, in, in tech. And uh, I have to go to my network and say, hey, are you interested in it? Well, let's say my network mostly consists of healthcare based investors or industry agnostic or people who just aren't interested in video games um, at all. Well, then I then I'm going to struggle to raise that money for an SPV. And so it's a long process. Also, you know, if you do a certain number of SPVs, um, you know, it can become costly. It still can become costly. Also, follow on funding. Let's say you raise an SPV for a company at the seed stage round. This company, it turns out it's like the next Uber, right? Well, you you might want to take advantage of if you have pro rata rights, take advantage of your pro rata rights and invest in the next round. But then that this company needs a lot of dry powder. And all of a sudden, every time this company raises a new round, you have to go back to your original investors and ask them for more money. And that can become really, really difficult and time consuming and again, costly. So there are pros to doing SPVs and you know that's why even I think AngelList was created was to make SPVs a little less costly and for it easier to syndicate deals between a network of you know high net worth individuals. Um, and we definitely explore them. Um, we're actually exploring one right now in the uh, solar energy space and are making a decision on it next week. But um, it's, it's not as simple as raising a fund where if you have a fund, you have a management fee and SPV, you don't um, to support yourselves and to support that company over a long period of time, which I think is incredibly important for protecting your investment. Right. Yeah, that makes total sense. And by the way, for people who don't know that, Parada rights is that those are the rights that give the investors the right to keep certain percentage at the company. So every time new shares are issued, they have the right to buy more to keep up their percentage. Um, so um, yeah, the the problem with SPVs is pretty much evident here. Thanks for explaining that to me because I didn't really even think of it. Um, so uh, by the way, people, uh, if you want to ask some question, um, go on ahead and ask it, or if you don't, you will have to type it. Going once, going twice, going three. Uh, I actually have a couple of questions. So the very first question that I have is, uh, I mean, in startups, there's the idea of like pivoting. And since you're talking about starting a new, <clears throat> a new fund, uh, I would imagine like when you pitch to the LPs, you uh, give them like some plan or like some area of investment, like you pitch them some sort of idea, like, okay, how are we going to invest your money? And, um, I'm just interested to how, the, how does the, how does the pivoting look like for a VC firm that's young? That's my question. First one. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So actually it's a little bit different in VC. Usually don't pivot. Like usually your thesis should be something that you are fully convinced is a need. So one of the problems in VC that LPs have a problem with is that, you know, firms are differentiated and that they they don't actually solve a problem or need. Um, whereas, you know, in a in a startup, you know, you could find a problem, but then that actually isn't the biggest problem. You go 
and find another bigger problem that your technology can current, yet you can leverage and, and solve. Um, in VC, though, that really doesn't happen often. However, I will say it did happen to us in that first month when I was talking about that anchor, that potential anchor as an LP, um, that LP had an idea to do a cross-border fund. So we had to tweak our thesis to actually um, leverage their international resources and do a lot of resource, a lot of research into um, the area that they wanted to potentially invest in, um, the location that they wanted to potentially invest in. And we had to tweak our thesis a lot. Um, but when you go and fundraise, you know, you might learn a couple of things like, you know, in terms of check size or the types of companies you look at, that's not going to really change. What might change is how you distribute your management fee or the percentage equity that you take in companies. Maybe the valuation might change because your LP might want you to have more ownership. But for the most part, um, your, your thesis doesn't change as much, but you try to do all that tweaking to your thesis with other investors in your network who've already raised funds and try to make sure that your thesis is pitch perfect because once you get in front of an LP, you only really get a couple chances to impress them, maybe even just one. Um, okay, so that, that definitely answers my question. Um, thanks for that. Uh, the second question uh, that I have is, uh, I remember you mentioned the first stage when you were like doing the proof of concept before you actually went and started looking to like raise funds as more of like a consulting, I guess, uh, for the founders, and just basically trying to help them out uh, to to raise, right? So I just wanted to understand. So like you're, you you want to raise fifteen million for the uh, for the fund, and how much did you raise for? Like, can you give give some key stats that you find are most important about that stage of the proof of concept? Like, what exactly did you do? Like, how many? Um, companies did uh, go through like your consulting or, or however you call it. Um, so I, ho hopefully that makes sense. No, it it definitely makes sense. So in our proof of concept, in our in our we call it our coaching arm, but it's really a, a consulting arm. We like to say coaching instead of consulting because it's more founder friendly and coaching. It you don't need consultation at the the earliest stages of a venture. You need coaching, you need mentorship, advisory, um, not consultation. And so um, uh, in our coaching arm, we worked with, over the past six months, we worked with six different companies. We've worked with 30 plus companies, but not all of them were focused on fundraising, but six companies that were specifically focused on fundraising. And we've helped them raise together and they're at the pre-seed and seed stage, mostly at the seed stage though. And we've helped them together combined raise over $10.6 million. Um, and that's kind of our proof of concept. And our whole point in that is, you know, to give one example, there's this one um, real estate tech company that we worked with um, that when they started with us, they were at 250K MRR. And this is a stat we point out to our um, LPs when we pitched them, they started at 250K MRR. And after eight weeks, they raised, um, they raised $1.15 million. And 
they also grew their MRR from 250K to 450K MRR. So what that proves is one, we expedited their capital raise process. Two, they grew, they, growth did not become stagnant during this period. They were able to continue to increase their MRR despite having the fund rates. Right, uh, that's actually a pretty two good questions. I really like those. And the proof of concept seems to be pretty interesting as well. So uh, we'll wrap it up here. And uh, I have a final question for you, Josh. Could you, like in a couple sentences, give advice to a person who is just jumping into the startup world? Yeah, so I think the biggest thing when you jump into the startup world, a lot of people jump into it thinking, I'm going to make a lot of money. And it's not about making money. It, I think if you're jumping into the startup world, it should be for three different reasons. It should be one, because you want to help innovate or create and disrupt an industry. Um, you see a problem and you want to solve it. Two, um, to learn. I think a lot of people are like, I have this great idea and I'm going to found this startup. Try joining a startup beforehand. I, I don't think a lot of founders take this in consideration enough. But join an early stage startup, like one that's like, you know, less than 10 employees, right? Where you're at, you know, the ground level and working right with the CEO and trying to help solve an idea that isn't yours. Because it is incredibly, incredibly difficult to do that. And I think it's a very valuable learning experience for anybody who wants to become a founder. Um, even if you're a first time founder, if you worked at a startup or you've worked at it, you know, maybe even a bigger company such as a Google or Facebook, which has startup like operations, right? I think that's an incredibly valuable learning experience. The third thing is, is, and I think this one is the most underrated um, in terms of getting into the startup world, but taking care of your health, um, your mental health, your physical health. Um, startups can be incredibly, um, you know, I don't want to say depressing, but it can sometimes feel like a, you know, a journey that, you know, doesn't have a great end or a reward. And I think you need to keep your, when you get into the startup world, whether it's on the investment side or the, the creative side as a founder is keeping your eye on the ball on the journey and making sure that you take time outside of your business to be with friends, with family, to meditate, to to do physical activities, to do yoga, to run, to hike. Um, you know, it's something that even investors struggle with. And I think we need to have more appreciation and recognition for our own health. Um, if you're in the startup world, everybody's in it together and we should be really supportive to each other's efforts to stay healthy. Right. That's just great advice, especially number two, that's you should just join someone else's startup to learn before you jump in your own. Uh, thanks a lot, Josh. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for sharing your knowledge and your experience. Um, I have one more question, if we still have like a minute or two. All right, we, uh, we can extend to two minutes. Go on. Um, so my question is uh, regarding the like brand building for a VP, uh, because I think that's pretty much the number one thing that stood out to me that I didn't hear uh, before, but like, I can definitely see this as being like, why I would want to work with a specific, uh, like, 
VC firm, like as, as a potential founder, uh, I want to know like what they're doing and I want them to be like very public. So, um, my question is like, how do you build the brand? Is it mostly by like, I don't know, like articles, uh, is it, is it more by like getting your Twitter following or some other, like, and what social networks are you using? So just like very. So we're, we're, we're starting to become active. We're as the fund gets launched, we'll be more active on Twitter and Instagram and et cetera. But how we do it is through, um, our different arms. So we have a pitch competition that, you know, we bring over 100 investors to that, um, that, um, founders can apply for and have an equal chance of getting into. We have programs like BC scholar, which helps college students um, get into VC. We have um, different events that we throw personally on a bi-monthly basis in LA um, that helps bring investors and founders together through fun activities. So we're actually throwing on another one at the end of January. There, It's a mixology class where investors will get paired up in teams with founders on an individual one-on-one -on -one basis. and. Um, they'll make cocktails together, and the, the one that makes the best cocktail will uh, uh, win, a, win a little prize <laughs> from us. And it's just a great way to build a brand. Founders love it. It's a great way to you know, get to know an investor on a human level and for investors to know that founders are human too. So I think that's how we build a brand. We do it through events. We do it through um, opportunities to allow people to get involved in our firm. We, we try our best to do everything is around being super founder friendly. Not all firms are this way. Some firms go out of their way not to be founder friendly, to be honest with you. They want to be more exclusive. Um, and, you know, with all respect to that, we just personally at Level Up don't believe in that. Um, we believe in, you know, finding ways to help founders as much as possible because we think you know, especially outside of San Francisco, there are a lot of undetected hotspots where and missed opportunities for investment. And so our goal is to find and see a founder grow from day one to day 30, which is why we even created this program called Founder Shop, which is like an e-learning platform for first time founders um, that will be available this, com this coming March. And we, we worked with other investors and founders who've been successful to provide lessons that would be useful to first time founders. So that's how we build our brand. Yeah, I think that answers the question really well. And I, I like the approach. I think it's helpful both for you and for founders, especially for founders. And uh, yeah, we'll wrap it up here. Thanks again, Josh, for coming up, for sharing your experiences, for educating us. And uh, thanks everyone for joining today. Have a great weekend. Thank you, right. thank you, Bye. have a good weekend.